Well, let me say what a privilege it is to be here with you guys. I know many of you have uh, at one time been at uh, Covenant, and I've been there many, many years. I say many, six, seven, eight years. I don't know. I've been here over the uh, winters and enjoyed my time meeting some of you there. And, of course, uh, many, most of you are new here, uh, weren't there at Covenant, and I've enjoyed meeting a few of you. So thank you for, uh, for the invitation to, uh, to preach. Let me, uh, let me pray, and we'll jump into the Word. Father, we're thankful for this time, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, grant us to take some truth that you have for us this day, and it may resonate so deeply that it would be life-transforming, not only for us, but the things we might, from this point, share with others because of the truth we learn. We thank you. And we pray in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, we've just come through what's uh, called the period of Advent, the Christmas season. We think of Advent. Well, Advent, as you probably are aware, and perhaps it was taught on in the last few weeks, uh, it means arrival or waiting, and referring to the arrival of Jesus, waiting on him to come yet once again. We have a text that I'd like for you to turn to if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, you don't have to turn there. Uh, you'll have to see it on the screen in a few minutes, not yet. But uh, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 1, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 21. This is, uh, this is the introduction of the arrival. The arrival has happened. It's, it's now taken place. And so in the Word of God, God is now going to give us a... Uh, a description of the, of the event that's taken place, and it's the way that the world in Scripture is being introduced to Jesus. So that's very important. Introductions are very, very important. I remember when I was a uh, 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 student at the, I went to the University of Alabama. When I was there, I was, we had Campus Crusade, uh, now called Crew, on our campus, and I was involved with that, and I was the MC. For our big gathering once a week. And we had various speakers come in week to week to week. And uh, uh, this particular week was a bigger name than ever uh, on our campus. So this was a name uh, uh, of a man who world famous as an author, as a speaker. Uh, the Christian community knew him well. But uh, what an incredible name coming to our little campus to, to speak to us. It was a big time. And I had the responsibility to introduce this speaker. Never met him, obviously, and I'm waiting anxiously for him to get there where I can get the information that he wanted me to share because I was told I should talk to him about his introduction beforehand. I was to find out why, because when he then did come a little late at the last moment before the meeting was beginning... He comes in and he says, who's introducing me? And they pointed to me. And so he got me and said, come over here. And I go over to the corner with him. And he says, now, I want you to know this. An introduction is extremely important. In fact, it's the second most important thing that's going to be happening tonight. My message, obviously, but your introduction will literally make or break my message. So it needs to be a good introduction. And here's what I want you to say. Now, here is a genius of a man, brilliant, and I am everything but. And he starts 
listing one after the other honors and various degrees and places he's been in school. And he's going on and on. And many of the, of the honorary fraternities he was a part of were Greek letters. I had no clue. Well, as he started working through his little list, I, I thought he was maybe being funny. And I said, I laughed. I said, seriously, what, what do you want me to say about you? And there was no smile when he looked at me and he says, what I'm telling you is what I want you to say about me. And I said, well, let me go get a, a pen or something and, and write this. Down. You don't need anything. Just listen carefully. You can remember this. And he carried on his list. It was probably a, a good full minute or two minutes of just memorizing. I can't do that. And I just turned him off from that moment. I said, this is not going to work in my little brain. So he'll have to do with what I give him. So I get up and I simply say this. There's no reason to take time to introduce this man. I think everybody here knows who he is, knows about his background. We are so honored to have him. So let's welcome. I mentioned his name and everybody applauded. I walked off. He stepped up. He looked over at me and he stared and he said, this is a true story. He stared at me. He said, that is the worst introduction I've ever, ever had. And he carried on. Well, there is some truth. Maybe he had exaggerated in his situation, but in this situation, introduction is everything. We've heard about this Messiah, this one that's coming, what he's going to be like, what's going to happen. And now we get the first introduction ever of this Jesus introduction of Jesus will make or break one's relationship or lack of relationship with Jesus. So we're going to go back just to the most simple of simple. We're going to go back to the introduction and we're going to look at it and it's going to be very simple. Two simple observations, observations that will not uh, be anything new to anybody. But then two implications that may be somewhat new. Implications of things we've observed and observed and observed and observed. But now we see perhaps something that we might have missed. Who knows? Now, the question is, why would I turn to this? I've got one opportunity to preach here, and this is the message that I would bring. Why is this such an important message to me? Well, I've had the privilege for many years now, many, many, many years, to have lunch after lunch after lunch after lunch with non-believers. Virtually all are men, if I'm alone, certainly a man. And, and uh, from time to time, I might have Carol or somebody, and might have, uh, you know, a, a, a woman that I'm meeting with, but, but particularly a lot of men that I've met with. And the same is true with women, I'll assure you. But I meet with men, and uh, we end up talking about Jesus, and, and these are men that are not believers. And when the subject comes around and we start talking, I ask them a few questions about their spiritual life and so forth, and began to hear a little bit about them, and I find out that, are you a Christian? Most of them, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, I say, well, Good. But the further I talk, I don't hear anything that makes me believe they're Christian. And so I'll ask this little question. I said, let me ask you a question. In your 
and your relationship to your faith, would you say that, would you say that your faith is more of a belief and maybe a strong belief? Or would you say it is a deep conviction? And then I explain. I say, I believe is something that we would hold to be true, but maybe simply because that's where we have lived and heard and learned about religion. Maybe were we in North Africa, we might be saying Allah today. But because we're here in America and so forth and so on, maybe we say Jesus. And it is a belief, and for some, maybe a very strong belief. Or would you say, instead of it being a belief, it is a conviction? And then I explain conviction. A conviction is something that drives the way you think, the way you speak, the way you live. Everything about you is kind of driven by it. So just a question, would you say that your faith in Christianity and Christ, would you say it is more of a belief or is it a conviction? And I mean over and over and over again, here's what I hear, uh, probably just a belief. And then in most, many is for sure, of those situations, it ends up that we spend three to four weeks meeting together week after week, investigating Christianity. By the end of that time, over and over and over again, I have people that say, you know, I really wasn't a Christian. I assumed that I was, but I'm really not. Now, I'm not here just simply sharing this truth because I believe that so many of you are not Christians. That's not it at all. But I think the same truth about the introduction of Jesus will confuse people who have belief but not conviction. And also will hurt those that do have conviction, but are not living the conviction where they know they should be living it. So in light of that, here is the question. wonder what kind of introduction those people I talked to over lunch. I wonder what kind of introduction they got of Jesus. When they started hearing of Jesus, what, what was the introduction? A better question might be for us. What kind of introduction did we have? And is the introduction that they or we have had, is it of the real Jesus? Or maybe one that's not really the true Jesus? So Matthew 1, this text was written to make sure that we're introduced to the real Jesus by looking at the naming of the baby. That's how simple this is going to be. We're going to just look at the naming of the baby. In doing so, keep in mind that Today, we name babies based on maybe a very special person that we love and care about. Maybe it's uh, somebody we admire. We don't know that personally, but we admire them. Uh, For many, our names are chosen simply because it's a popular name, one that we have heard and say, "That's that's a pretty name. I like that name. That's a strong name. I like that name. For some, it's because it's just the sound itself, just the sound of the name. It matches by my last name. Therefore, let's use this name. Whatever it may be, very different in the day when Jesus was born in the world of Judaism, where Jews were living totally, totally different. For them, it was based on what the name said about the child's identity. It's about the baby's identity. 
So here were the two things that really mattered in that day and time. Number one, it had to do with who named the baby. Keep that in mind. Who named the baby? And then what was the name that was given? By the way, this was not just true of, uh, of what we're, we're talking about here in naming. You're going to see in a minute, it's, it, it, it had to do with a, a lot in their culture and their understanding. But names were very, 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 very important. And they were chosen for these very specific purposes. Let me just say that a good friend and fellow, I want to credit where credit needs to be uh, given, uh, a good friend of mine and a PCA pastor, um, Tim Keller, many of you might know his name, very noted author today. Uh, we've known each other for years and years and years ago, decades ago, we were together. And this was being uh, talked about. And some of these great uh, insights, uh, I would uh, credit him, but important what we're about to hear. All right. So in light of that, let's start with the two simple observations and they're going to come from our text, Matthew one. So listen very carefully. All right. Now all this verse 20, uh, uh, did I say 18 through 21, 22 through 25? I'm sorry. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. <laughs> I got the wrong text here. It is 18 through 21. Hold on. You know what I did? I've got to turn there. Hold on. Got the wrong text. I have that typed in my notes here, and I tell you what, let me just read it from here, all right? Let's do it again. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, with that text, let's look at two very simple observations, very quick. Number one. The baby is named by God. In verse 21, it says, and you shall call his name. This is the angel speaking on behalf of God. It comes and speaks to Mary and Joseph and says, okay, here's the truth about what's happening. This is the introduction of the Messiah. Now is the time. And by the way, this is what you will name him. Well, usually it was the parents that named the child. But not here. It says, ah, uh -uh. You're not going to do that. And the reason, hear this very, very carefully, because whoever chooses the name, in that culture it was understood, whoever chooses the name manages the child. Did you hear that? Whoever chooses the name manages the child. Now, that's not true just of an I mentioned a while ago, it goes beyond that. Think about this. You remember when Adam was created? 
And then the animal world was created. And what did God say to Adam? He said, now, Adam, he didn't say the words, I'm not going to name them, but he didn't name them. He said, you're going to name the animals. And then he says, and you will rule over them. Same was true with kings. A king would defeat another king. And you know the first thing that he did as soon as he defeated the king? He would give it a new name. The king would be given a new name by the victorious king. And that was to say, I named you, therefore I will manage you. In this case, God the Father named the Son. His name would be Jesus. There's the first observation. Here's the second one. The baby is given the name Jesus. Very simple. We know that. Was given the name Jesus. Now, Jesus, it's a translation of Ishua, which is uh, what in our English we call Joshua. Now, what you need to know is this, that in the day that Jesus was born, did you know that the name Jesus was the most common name that was given? It was the name that would be for us today, John Doe. Hey, give me your John Doe. What's your John Doe? Give give me your name. It's just a common name, just to represent others. But here's the oddity. This is the most important person. This is the most important child that's ever been born, ever will be born, and is given the most common name of all names. Hmm. Here's a clue to the fact that this is one that's going to relate to the ordinary, to common people. Not only do you have a common name, he had common parents, he had a common education, he had a common trade, all very common. Now here's the meaning of Jesus. Salvation is of the Lord. Hmm. He gives one name, and the name is salvation is of the Lord. Verse 21 reads like this. He will save his people from their sin. You see, in many ways, his name encapsulates the gospel. The gospel is the good news. What the name is telling us is, hey, this salvation, you folks have got it all wrong. It's not about what you do for God. I'm telling you, those people I meet with for lunch... I talk to them, it doesn't take me five, ten minutes. I hear they're thinking, it's what I've done for God. It's because I've done this, and I haven't done that, and so forth. Yeah, I'm a Christian because I... And I go, no, 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 no. You got it wrong. You're thinking about what you're doing for God. It's what God does for you. You see, it's not about about man's merit. It's about God's mercy. Or hear this, it's, it's not about a... A righteousness that we call an active righteousness. I act righteous. So therefore, God, this is what you'll do for me, right? Because I act right. No, 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 no. It's what you do passively righteously. What? What do you mean passively? Oh, passive righteousness is that which we receive from God when God indwells us with his life and we take on the righteousness of Jesus. We're passive He's active. It's totally a reverse. And so this introduction was to say right out, of the, right out of the gates, folks, listen to this. This person is about salvation. And salvation is different than what you think. You think it's merit. It is not. It is about mercy. It's about what he does, not about 
what we do. So therefore, the baby, the name, named by God and given the name Jesus. Now, let's look at the two implications. I know that our little kids have gone out, but we got young people here and so forth. Young people, please listen to this. This can be a game changer for you. And I would say if you're, some of you here are, are seekers trying to kind of figure out the faith. This is going to be important. Because these implications, you're not going to understand it typically in the normal introduction of Jesus. So here's the first of two implications. Number one, the real Jesus is unmanageable. You hear that? The real Jesus is unmanageable. Here's the point. We do not name Jesus. He names us. We cannot manage Jesus. Please hear that. You see, the real Jesus is not a personal butler. Uh, one that we can, you know, uh, get, hey, hey, Lord, I need you right now. I need something real badly. Can you get me this? Lord, would you, would you do this? I'd like to have this right now. That's not what Jesus is. Or to use another analogy, he's not like a tamed house cat that's summoned and enjoyed from time to time when you're ready to enjoy him. Not at all. In fact, keep in mind in Scripture, he's called the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah. Don't try to tame the real Jesus. You will get hurt. There's the implication. Don't try to tame him. You'll get hurt. I know a lot of you are, some of you for sure are young parents here. Boy, if I could give you any advice, know this. God will do in your parenting experience the same thing to you to teach you a very important lesson about who manages who. The same lesson that he wants us to teach our children as to who manages who. What I'm saying, uh, illustrate it. We have, a, uh, we have four children. Our oldest is 40 some odd, I don't know. 44? 45, whatever. I know that he's old. But when he was a little toddler, just a little toddler, Carol and I, remember it was a Sunday morning, we were getting ready for church, we were in the bathroom together, and, uh, and our little, little Matt comes, you know, toddling in there, just a little fella, and he comes in, and, and he's, got a, uh, he's got a little rubber tip in his mouth. I mean, you know, the doors of old, that we had, uh, some of you remember, they had little springs that had a, a little a little rubber tip on it and so forth. That tip would come off easily. Well, he'd pull that tip off of a door and he's got it in his mouth, in his teeth. And he thought that was a cute thing. And he comes, he comes coming in with it in his mouth. And you know, I see that little thing in his mouth. And I said, no, 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 Dad. No, man, you can't do that. that. That's dangerous. No, 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 no. And I explained it and so forth. I took it away and put it back. And when I saw it, I said, no, that's a no, no. Can't do that, okay? Can't do that. So I go back into the bedroom or in the bathroom and within a very short period of time, here comes Matt coming back in and he's got that back in his teeth. And this time he's kind of looking up at us like showing it off. Huh? Look what I've got. And I thought, oh, 
this is hard. What does he not understand about no, no? He's going to now learn. So I take it away, put it back, and I said, I'm going to have to spank you. I told you not. That's dangerous. I, I spanked him. I spanked him with love. Don't you understand? Hugged him, affirmed him. But I said, this is, I have to protect you. You can't do that. I've got to, I've got to warn you. You can't do that. I go back in the bathroom. No time. Here he comes again. And he has it back in his teeth again. And I, I told Carol, I said, this boy is never going to forget this moment. And I take him in there and I wear him out. I didn't abuse him. But I, I spanked him in a way that he remembered. I came back and I said, Carol, I don't think he's going to do that again. I think he did one more time. But after another spanking, he finally got the message. You know what he learned? I can't manage my parents. They manage me. And let me tell you, a lot of us think, oh, to manage our children, they won't enjoy us as much. If I manage my children and require what they need to be required to do, I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're not going to be happy. But I tell you what, they'll grow up in a lot of misery. The same is true of the Christian life. In God's great love, he spanks us, he disciplines us. He says in scripture, he disciplines those he loves. Because he's saying, you've got to learn this now. For your own sake, you cannot manage the real Jesus. If you live the Christian life thinking, I'll manage him, it'll never work. In the long haul, you get hurt. We think we can manage Jesus when we claim him as Savior. And we reject him as Lord. How many people I listen to. Who were introduced to Jesus, I guess, the wrong way. And they say, you know what? He's my Savior. He's not my Lord, but he's my Savior. Do you know that theologically that is absolutely unsound? There's no such thing as taking him to be Savior without him as Lord. The two are always married together. Inseparable. I use this illustration. It'd be like Carol, my wife here. uh, We've been married for uh, uh, nearly five decades and years and years ago we were dating let's assume this is a fictional story and i have to say that because whenever i use this and i don't use that word fictional at least two or three times somebody comes up and says i can't believe that about your wife and so please know this is a fictional story all right imagine that we've been dating for four years five years and we're out of school we got the money it seems we love each other and she says do you ever see us getting married And I go, yeah, I would not want to marry anybody but you. Well, when do you think that's going to happen? I don't know, but not anytime soon. And she says, why? What are we waiting on? She says, well, right now, I just love my independency. You know, the fact that, well, though we don't, it's very rare we would, but we're free to date other people. And from time to time, you know, I have dated so-and-so and so-and-so, and, and, you know, and and, and I just like that freedom. With that, 
She should slap me and walk away forever, but let's assume that in this fictional story, she doesn't, and she stays with me, and we continue to date. Very soon afterwards, I come to her, and I say, Carol, I got a question. I got to ask you, will you marry me? And she says, what? I thought we didn't. I know it, but it got me thinking, why in the world would I not marry you? Of course I want to marry you. And she says, great. No more, and she mentions the few girls' names that perhaps I've dated. And I go, oh, 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 no, 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 no. I'm going to keep dating them after we get married. I, don't, I, don't, I want you to understand that. I, but I want to get married. Now, she would slap me and re- leave forever, right? It's a fictional story. So anyway, I go, oh, no, no. She said, what are you talking about? You aren't sincere. You don't want to marry me. And I go, oh, no, no, no. You don't know how sincere I am about wanting to marry you. In fact, you get the date, you get the place, you get the, the preacher, you sh- I'll show you how sincere I am. I will show up for that wedding. You know what she's going to say? You're crazy. No way. She might even ask, why would you even want to marry me? Well, my goodness, Carol, you haven't seen the way these other girls, how messy their apartments are. You clean very well. You haven't tasted the food that they cook. Oh, you're a great cook. Of course I want to marry you. Now she'd pull out a gun and shoot me probably at that point. But for some reason, we think that that's the way we can manage God. Well, Lord, I I still plan to have my other gods. I still plan to love and date my other loves of life. But I certainly want you because, look, you hold the keys to eternal life. You hold the keys to, to blessing and good things. And, of course, I want to marry you. And God says in the Ten Commandments, to make it so clear, you shall have no other gods before me, none whatsoever. You see, folks, that explains Matthew seven twenty two, one of the most scary texts in all of God's word. For those that are trying to manage Jesus, where it says this, many who come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus said, he will say then on that day, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. It's not that you were mine and now you're not. You've never been mine. What do you mean? It's simply because they were introduced to Jesus with the idea they could manage their Jesus. It's not the way it works. Let me give you the final implication and we'll close. Hear this. This is, this is good news, but it's also a warning. To follow the real Jesus is to embark on an unpredictable dangerous and adventurous journey. It's a wonderful one. But folks, it's unpredictable. It's dangerous. Very adventurous. A lot of us don't like big adventures. But it is. You see, it's a call to follow Jesus. That's what it is. You know what? I bet by me just saying what I've said has left some of us, thinking, well, how perfect do you have to follow Jesus 
It sounds like to me, he's got to be a savior. To be savior, he's got to be Lord of your life. Well, nobody has him perfectly as their Lord. You know how I would look at that? I'd look at it like a picture. If you can picture here, two stick figures. All right? This one here is Jesus. This one here is you, me, any of us right here. And Jesus over here points this direction and says, I'm going this way. You follow me. There's no such thing as being a follower without following, right? So he says, you follow me. Imagine this stick figure says, you or me, whoever we are, here we are, and we go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going this way. Am I a follower? No. Oh, I'm going this way. I'm not this bad. I'm going to go this way. That's not a follower. Uh, Well, I'm going to go this way. That's not a follower. So following would be going this way. Well, I'll put a perfect line between the two, marking the way you and I are following to perfection. Anybody here doing that? No, none of us. But here's Jesus. He's going this way saying, follow me, follow me. And here we are behind, but none of us are perfect. But what happens in our beginning of our Christian faith? We're so young and immature and so forth. This may be as what our following looks like. It goes this way, and then it goes this way, and then it goes this way. But do you know every point along that very errant line is going closer It's going in the same direction of Jesus. And then we get a little stronger in our faith, and it looks more like this. Then we get maybe where the Apostle Paul is, where it's like this. We're all followers. Some follow errantly more so than others. Some follow more purely than others, but we're all followers. But people who meet the real Jesus need to know You don't follow. You don't become a follower without following, right? Not to perfection, obviously. The two analogies that uh, help us understand the following the real Jesus. I think of an unexpected, expensive house remodel. Imagine that you were just going to do a few little changes here and there. You left it to the contractor and said, we're going out of town for several weeks. If you could actually take care of this, blah, blah, blah. You get back, and they have actually removed walls. They have put a new addition on. They've put a swimming pool and a, a garden out there. And it's, you come back to this royal palace. You come back and say, what in the world? Oh, yeah, it costs a little bit more than you'd planned, too. It's like 20 times more expensive. And you go, no, 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 no. I didn't expect that. I don't want that. I didn't ask for that. Let me tell you, that's following Jesus. My goodness, it's like. Things we never expect. You know what he says of Paul in Acts 9, 16? He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And some of us say, Jesus, I didn't plan to suffer. Jesus, I didn't want, I, I didn't ask, I just wanted. He says, I know it. But guess what? You got a royal palace. And trust me, I'll pay for it. It's worth it. Or maybe the analogy of living a life of continuous adventurous story. It's a story of adventure that you get out. Nobody, nobody loves a call away from security. Crazy people like that. 
We don't like hardship and we don't like risk and fears and all the stuff that goes with the Christian faith. And then some of us say, oh, Jesus, this is not what I bargained for. And he says, I know it. You didn't meet me as the real Jesus. You met me as a conceived Jesus to something that you thought I was that I'm not. But I'll tell you this. It is a wonderful journey. When all comes to the end, there's hidden treasure. That's the story. The short run, there's nothing more dangerous than to obey Jesus. In the long haul, there's nothing more dangerous than to ignore him. So let me conclude. Here's the conclusion. Some will say this about hearing about the real Jesus. Oh, but if I follow the real Jesus, I'm afraid he's going to ask me to do some things that I don't want to do. Well, of course he will. Other people say, well, I, I tell you this, I don't, I don't know. If I follow Jesus, I'm afraid he's going to ask me to stop doing things that I really want to do. Well, he definitely will do that. But remember this, he named you. He manages you. And he's the author of this incredible journey that leads to a royal palace with hidden treasure. So you want those? Well, I'll tell you this. Young people hear this too. If you want the royal palace and you want the hidden treasure, you can't name, you cannot be named by anything or anyone else. You can't be named by your work. You can't be named by your relationships, your pleasure, your reputation, your, your material possessions. You just can't be. You're named by Jesus. Here's the great illustration for us. It's the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So one last little text. It's in Luke chapter 1. Keep in mind that Mary has been called to embark on an adventure journey like nobody can imagine. Here's what she's told. Oh, you've become pregnant without a husband. That's an adventure. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be accused of being immoral because you're not married and you're pregnant. Oh, and if that doesn't top it all, how about this one? You're going to have a child that's older than you. You ready for the adventure? Do you know what Mary said to that? That's Luke 138. And Mary said, behold, the bondservant, meaning I am the bondservant of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And there lies in the conclusion. Would we say to God, Father, I believe your son is the real Jesus. And I am going to now submit to him and say, it is my life commitment to follow. And I'll tell you this, many will say, well, how can I know this is true, that the end there's going to be this hidden treasure after all this suffering? How am I going to know that there, there's this royal palace of life waiting for me? What makes me think I can even believe that? And here's your answer, friend. 
It's because his very first act of managing you and me was to die on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things, all good things? That is the reality. I would say for those of us in the midst of the journey, and it's scary and it's adventurous, but it's, oh, it's so dangerous and it's so expensive and it's causing me and all this stuff and it's so hard. I just say, remember this. Remember you're forever forgiven. Remember that you are forever loved. Regardless of your sin, you are forever forgiven and you're loved. And you will forever be provided for. If that's not good enough, I don't think we want to follow Jesus. But if you do want those things, you follow Jesus. Because he gave it all. And we get it all. Seeker, if you're outside an understanding of Jesus, you pursue hard. You ask your friends here. You ask your church leaders. You say, help me. I got to get there. I don't want to miss this hidden treasure. I'm willing to go on the adventure. The journey, I'm ready. And watch what he does, okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would... Hear any of us here that have said, I I don't think I've ever met you, the real Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would right now, for those who haven't, pierce into their hearts and lives and change them even right this moment. May it be a day we'll look back to forever and ever. Father, for those of us that do know you and follow you, thank you, Father, for the truth that you are the real Jesus. Your son, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're who you claim to be. Thank you that we get it all. We get your full righteousness. Thank you for dying on Calvary's cross. And never let us forget the great truths that you love us and you've forgiven us. You'll always provide. Grant that we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Let's sing together.